destino para ti lo que viniera de ti tu pueblo Welcome to the Inside the Journey podcast. This is episode number 45 for Sunday, March 23rd, 2014. I'm Nelson DeWitt. And I'm John Younger. And we are the creative team behind the upcoming documentary film, Identifying Nelson Buscando a Roberto. To learn more about the film and to get updates, head on over to our website, inbarfilm.com. That's I-N-B-A-R film.com. This week, we continue our discussion with Anna and her sister Isabel as they talk about their journey to reunite with family. Here is part two of our interview. Do you, do you want to tell us a little bit more about searching for your biological family? What was that process like? And, and I, would, I would add to that just because some people may find this podcast and not know, like, how, how did you go about searching? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, we talked about that because before, I, I mean, Isabel and I had no idea, like, like what to even, how to even do this. And fortunately, as part of that group of women uh, that, that were support, you know, they had adopted at the same time that our mother did. One of them found, uh, had told Isabel about uh, Provisqueda, and that was what started it. If we hadn't had her, I think that, that it would have been even more of a challenge. And um, I'm sure, though, given Isabel's passion and uh, focus, that she would have figured it out. She would have gone, you know, done her, her homework. But it was definitely easier having someone tell us, and Isabel particularly, um, that this program was out there and to start there because it was a start. It was at least a place where where, you know, we could go to is where you can see that process. Yeah, I mean, I just, uh, you know, I just got to, yeah, I mean, I could just reiterate what Anna said. It was just uh, when I was probably 18 years old, when I was just, you know, my first year of college, uh, one of my mother's friends, who was also an adoptive person, she did, she said, maybe you should look into Association for Lucia. And I kept it in my head for a few years because I, I, I was busy, I wanted to go to college and I focused on that, but I kept that memory in my head about that, that organization and then I started the search in my mid-20s. Um, I looked it up, I must have looked it up online and I also went to El Salvador uh, about six, seven years ago about and um, I visited the Association for Busquita. I visited El Salvador for the first time but uh, yeah, it was just it was just that just one person, just one person who was able to tell mm -hmm. me about the organization, just to mention a name, and I just flew with it. Yeah. You said you were about eighteen. I was I was wondering what year that was and how long it it took to make the uh, discovery. Well, I mean, you know, yeah, I started at eighteen when I first got the idea, and I didn't I didn't act on it until my mid twenties. Uh, I think I started the search around 2008. Now it's 2014, and I'm 36 years old. <laughs> so, you know, it took some years. Yeah, mm -hmm. I mean, I think this as, as well, at least for us, it it wasn't an easy process. I I think part of it, what Isabel was saying too, is that 
you know, we, we were going on with our life. We were, we were doing what we thought we needed to do. I mean, both of us went to college, and, you know, we're, we're living that, that life that is, I guess, the American way, right? And during that time, I know it was really challenging for Isabel because she was still really struggling with her identity and, you know, her her relationship and kinship to me and to the adopted family or as as we just call it the family. I mean, that was just our family. And um, I think it was, it's scary. It's scary to start that process. It's scary, to, it's scary to think that what you might find might actually fragment your family or change your idea of who you are or your ideas of the reality that you have been, you know, living. And I don't know too many young 20s or 18-year-olds that are about to go into something like that and challenge their whole worldview. So I think it took time for Isabel to mature. And certainly, I mean, at that point, I, you know, I was doing my college business too. So it's not, I, we were not prepared to start uh, searching. It takes a bit of maturity and access to information and a sense of self that you're mm-hmm. willing to possibly destroy during the process. So, yeah. Hey, she just put that really, really well. She, she put that better than I possibly could have. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to agree with her is that it took years. It took uh, years for me to grow into the process. And in the meantime, and while I was growing into this, you know, this desire to find my family. I had to, I had to create my own footing, uh, feel safety in my own family, my adoptive family, and it took some time. And I don't, you know, I know that there's other people out there who, I mean, I know that Nelson, you started this when you were a child, but actually, you know, it was started for you when people came looking, your family came looking for you. So that, between us, that's like really different. We've had different experiences in that, yeah, you were a child still, but I initiated it as an adult. You know, I just, I needed that time. I needed, yeah, I needed that. I needed a stronger sense of self first. Yeah. I think your story is a really important example because there's, it, it's hard for people that don't know about the disappeared children to, to understand, but there's still 500 families looking. And yeah. uh, and to hear of people who are, are not, you know, Nelson came to this as a teenager, not, not you know, not by uh but it's important for people to understand because other people may be facing the same types of questions, and to hear your story is is uh, it's a good example. Yeah, and Anna, I think you you made a, a another great point in that you know when you when you do look into this, you are sort of challenging your own identity of who you are. And last week, John and I were talking about how sort of dumped on my lap and my whole world was turned upside down and it wasn't my choice where, you know, we get this phone call out of the blue when I was 16 and they just said, here you go. You're this other person and this family has been looking for you. And and you're right that it, that is a big difference between our stories. But I think that what, what I'm hearing from you is that take your time and when you're ready, you know, it confront it and not to run away from it and to kind of explore because it's an important part of who you are. Yeah. Yeah, I say don't run away from it, but, you know, also, like, I can't, it's hard for me to understand people who don't go searching. I have to say, like, uh, we have, like I said, we have friends that were adopted. 
we're all adults now, we're all adopted children. And I remember talking to one of my friends and I said, you know, I was telling him, he was from, I can't, uh, he was also from El Salvador. And I was telling him about how I found my family with the help of Perluskia. And I said, you know, maybe someday you would want to do that yourself. And he said pretty much no. <laughs> he liked the family, you know, the life that he has now and just moved on. And that makes me feel really sad when I hear that because I feel like there, we have a responsibility. You know, maybe I, I just, you know, if you come from a family, an adopted family that doesn't tell you the truth, you know, I just, I, I, feel, I felt compelled. Like, you know, it's not just your own story. It's your family. It's your biological family has been looking for you, you know, for all of these years. And their heart is broken and they have an empty place. So how could you not feel compelled to bring peace to their heart? It's not just your truth. It's somebody else. Like it's the responsibility. I feel like. Mm-hmm. Isabel's quite passionate about this. <laughs> <laughs> well, and and I mean, it, these adoptions. If you're adopted from El Salvador in the '80s, there is a chance that that this adoption was had to do with you know violent separation and and not just a family giving somebody up or a mother giving somebody up for adoption. And and there are people on the other end of this. Um, and yeah. you know, 30 years later, there are still hundreds, if not thousands, of family members on the other end of this. It's, you make a good point. You know, these are not simply uh, in this circumstance. It has to do with people being separated by war, and it's these are not quote unquote necessarily normal adoptions, right? Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you could talk a little bit more about where you are now with the search. Sure. You can take. So, yeah, I started this in 2008, and uh, uh, for the past two years, it took a few years for the DNA testing to go through and uh, for the, you know, Promiscuity to find my family. And then, since then, we've been exchanging letters um, and photographs through the email with the help of Promiscuity. And that's all we're able to do. What we Skype. Yeah, and we Skyped once. Yeah. On the computer, amazing. So, so that's 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 as much as we've been able to do. But I haven't been able. We haven't been able to have a face-to-face reunion with our families because I have very poor health and I can't travel. Um, I probably never will be able to travel to El Salvador to meet with my family. So I've been trying to get my mother uh, a travel visa, a non-immigrant travel visa, but we've been denied a couple of times, and I'm still trying to figure out the best, you know, how to, I, I just keep on trying to get her the travel visa, but it's, it's not going through, it's our, our, our government will not give her a travel visa, so that's where I'm at right now. It's not yeah, going through on the U.S. end? Right, I mean, there's, there, I mean, as well as gone to our, our, like the Vermont, you know, our, our represent, we've gone to both governors, right? No, yeah, I mean, I've, um, yeah, I mean, I've been in contact with both of the senators in Vermont, and when I applied for the visa, I got a letter of support from Vermont Senator Lady's office, and she was still denied, our birth mother was still denied a visa, and they said it was because she doesn't, our government said that, it, it, you know, they, they don't think that she has enough financial and uh, familial ties to El Salvador to ensure that she would return to El Salvador if she came to visit us. 
And uh, I feel like that's discrimination because she's poor and she doesn't have economic ties because she's illiterate and she's a washerwoman. And there are very few avenues for her to pursue to be able to educate herself or get a better job. She's lived in the country. You know, she's isolated, she's poor, she's illiterate. And the country doesn't have a strong foundation. You know, it's, it's, it's hard. You know, she's very, she, very... She comes from a different circumstance, and right? I mean, right. And it's hard, it's hard to change those circumstances in a third world country. Um, you know, there's only schooling up to, like, elementary school. Uh, it just, I had an immediate reaction when you say it, which is it, it just makes me angry. I mean, somebody from a rural area in El Salvador who's been through the war and lost their children, the, the State Department can't see enough flexibility to, uh, to put somebody on it and figure out that situation. I mean, no, they just they consider her a, a flight risk. They first and foremost, it's kind of like I mean, I guess I could compare it to the judicial system. But she's like, it seems like she's proven guilty before she's, you know, presumed innocent. They first believe that somebody will want to come to the states and stay here illegally. Um, that's their first presumption. I, I I've seen it on the website when you go into the state government when they go onto the government website. That's their that's where they're coming from. That's that's the belief. So it's been really hard. I, I, you know, I've tried to get support. I've tried to write letters to ambassadors. I wrote a letter to uh, Ambassador Rubens Mora. I just recently wrote a letter to Ambassador Aponte. Um, and I hope that one of these days somebody's going to help. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. so you've been separated from her for 34 years? Yes. And, yes. and it was by... It was by violence, by an army raid, and, uh, okay. <laughs> but the thing about this is that um, last time I applied, I applied to get her in as, as uh, oh, I don't know how to put this, humanitarian parole. She, mm -hmm. I, uh, the Salvadoran embassy, the last time she was there, it was rejected. They, they suggested that she go, you know, that she apply for humanitarian parole, because the situation is so political, because she was, they were taken away, you know, we were taken away from her in the in the war, and it, she was denied that. I think because of the time lapse, which is very unique to the situation, I think, because it's not so, it doesn't seem so dire, you know, like it, so many years have passed that, you know, we're not, the, the war is not going on anymore. The civil war ended, so it's hard to figure out where she fits in because, you know, it is political and. Some there has to be some kind of recompense. Her government and our government, because our government had a role in the war, and but I don't want to place any blame. But you know, I just want to reunite with my mother, my family, and I think it's very unfair that I can't get her here. <laughs> but you know, we're still working. It's not obviously, and I know it's as well. She's not going to stop. Um, she's going to still search and research and talk to whoever she needs to and write letters to whoever she needs to because it is true. <clears throat> Isabel will probably never be able to go to El Salvador again. And obviously in my case, it's easier for me. I could go, but I also, I don't particularly want to go without Isabel because I would, that would just feel like I was missing my other half. Mm -hmm. um, so. And is it, um, You've mentioned your mother. Are there other relatives, aunts, uncles, cousins that uh, I know Nelson comes from? And I got I had the pleasure of meeting 
his birth mother's family. He, he came from a, a very big family, and his father's family is large as well. Are there other relatives that you've met or that you know about or that your mother lives with in El Salvador? Yeah, we we, we um, have a younger brother, and because um, there are only three of us, um, mm-hmm. and he, we've had, you know, we've seen pictures of himself with his wife and their six children, and yeah, those are the primarily the two relatives. I mean, if we went to El Salvador, we would probably meet all kinds of aunts and uncles. You know, because on my father's side and our mother's side, you know, two sides of the family, there's probably, we probably have tons of family over there. We just haven't met them. But so, yeah, primarily we've been communicating with uh, our mother and our younger brother. Yeah. So, and so, although we do have an, an aunt here in the States, right? California. Yeah, California. Isabel has tried to communicate with, and we haven't heard back. So that was exciting to know that there's there's a link here in the states, um, but right now we're just we're just focusing on on getting our bio mom here. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So yeah, I've been working um, with the woman Kay Pyle, who's work who made that documentary. She's still helping me out. In fact, she is helping me. She helped me write the letter to Ambassador Papanti last week. And she just got through, I think she's working on a film about, oh, shoot, immigrants or, uh, well, you know, just another, you know, it's just, it's all connected, especially since my mother, I can't get her over here because there's this huge, expansive, vast thinking about how Central Americans want to come to America illegally. And all I want to do is get my mother over here for a visit. She doesn't want to immigrate here. She's never told me that before. I don't know if she ever will. I don't know what future brings, but what I first have to do is get her over here first just for a visit. But until that happens, I mean, you know, we we Skyped once, and and hopefully we can we can continue doing that. And at least at least there, you we can see each other, and it's not just um, a letter or an email, but it's it's them. And I know for me, it was really powerful that Skyping session. Because it was one step closer, and the and our biological mother was. I know she's real. I mean, I know that she existed once we heard from her, but to actually see her and watch her mannerisms and um, and hear her voice, it's just one step closer. And I can't wait to really meet her. So it's I feel differently because I wasn't. Uh, you know, I wasn't really crazy about the Skyping session. I didn't, I just didn't feel that connected at look, looking at a screen. You know, it's like, it, it just wasn't the same thing to me. What I want to do is, like, embrace my mother. I want to hug her. You know, it's been so long. You know, I was born to this woman. She carried me for nine months. So the computer doesn't do much for me, I have to say. You know, what I really want is, like, a face-to-face reunion but you know it's great that like Anna and actually her husband have the have the same had the same kind of experience where they felt it was more real once they, we had the second session. But for me, it's always been real before I even reconnected with um, our family through letters. This is something that's been growing in my heart. You know, my family has always been inside. You know, my memories and 
So, yeah, Skyping is not the greatest thing for me. I don't know what it's going to be like. If I was healthy and, and I could, you know, we could have this reunion and I could go to El Salvador and meet my family, then I'd have to leave and come back, and that would be pretty sad. And then we would still be Skyping and writing letters like we're doing right now. I don't know what that would be. I haven't even passed on to that, that point because I'm just still at the place where I want to, like, I want to run to my mother and hug her with my arms, my real arms, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that... That's really the difference. I mean, yes, we talked about how Isabel and I had each other, and that's that's why we were we had a semblance of wholeness. But you know, even in this relationship, I mean, Isabel and I are very different, and we're coming at this from two different places. And I get that, and I and I do understand. I mean, Isabel said how she doesn't understand, but I do understand people who who are afraid of of going on this adventure and don't want to do that and have decided that they are fine where they are and they've created this world and this life and it would be too traumatic and too damaging for that for that life to be destroyed. I understand that. And yet I also understand people who will stop at nothing to find the information and to get those missing pieces and and glue themselves back together. There is a balance because we're we're all we're all different. Even if we've all come from El Salvador, we all have our different stories and our different experiences and we've all we were all broken in different ways. I just want to put it out there that like I you just have to look at it as like a wholeness and whatever people decide, I think it's it's very important that it means the most to them and that they are the ones leading their own journey. But Isabel and I are very, Isabel and I will do this together, just like we've done pretty much everything together. I mean, we live one street away from each other. I don't think we'll ever move away from each other. So, um, yeah. So I just want to, um, you know, I just want to thank my sister. I, I'm so grateful to have her because I have, I mean, you know, I, I did initiate this search. And I brought her along, and she agreed. <laughs> um, I'm really grateful for that because she has such a better understanding. Like what she just said, it's so such a great understanding, and she brings me in balance. She helps me keep, you know, grounded because I'm so because I was so compelled. I can't. I'm, it's hard for me to understand somebody who would not want to search for the truth. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so I'm so grateful that Anna and I have had each other and that even though we're different people, somehow we're going through with this together. So, yeah. Well, thank you both for, for sharing today. I don't know if there's anything else you want to say, but that, I mean, that, that's a great place to kind of wrap it up. I, I mean, I really can't say anything better. You two have been very articulate with the challenges that we face as adoptees and I guess also the joys about finding people that you can relate to and can help you through things. I think that's it. That is it. Yeah. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for this opportunity. Yeah. Thanks so much for talking to us and, and being part of the podcast. And as you know, I hope that people find it that need to. Me too. Yeah, and I, right, I hope this helps people. 
Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you so much for listening. It means a lot to myself and John, and I know it means a lot to our guests to to be able to be heard. The best way that you can support us and the work that we are doing is simply by sharing this podcast with someone that you know. You can do that by social media, either on Facebook or Twitter, or simply by emailing and a link to the show and passing it on to someone that you know. That's it for now, and we'll see you next time. <laughs>